0: We're bringing, the sh- we're bringing the show on the road. Hey, wasn't I supposed to do an interview on your fucking podcast? You did. Remember that? That <laughs> was so memorable. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I did that already. <laughs> I love those. A couple dudes, like... So how do you feel going, like duh, duh. this is the second night? Okay, there's this... Do you feel better tonight than you did last night, or... Interview's over, dude. Do you feel like... What, was the, what about the joke? Do you feel like... Do you... Do you think tonight was better than last night? Because I feel I ten times better. So. I feel ten times better tonight <laughs> than I did last it. night. Oh, thanks, man. Right? What about you? Uh, yeah, I concur. But you were good last night. We sucked last night. Oh, please. You guys always suck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell you joke. What well, was different? Kind of thing. Come on, Purner. Let's All hear a right. joke. All right, this guy's driving down the road, right? Uh huh. And he sees a sees a guy in a field fucking a donkey. And he sees a house up on the right and he pulls over and he knocks on the door and a kid answers the door and he says, uh, well, I just wanted to let you know there's a guy fucking a donkey out in your field there." And the kid says, "Oh, that's my dad. He always does that." It's <laughs> my go-to.
1: That's your go-to?
2: The Lifers Podcast, with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott,
3: Gabe, and Ben.
1: Which one do you like better? Do you like Revolver better or Abbey Road? Not Abbey Road, uh, Revolver... Rubber Soul? Or Rubber Soul better?
4: I'm probably a Rubber Soul guy, actually. Why? Just from memory, I'm thinking to myself, Rubber Soul... Uh, is, I guess it's more poppy, in my mind. Just thinking about it, I couldn't name any songs off either one off the top of my head right now. But she my said, mind, she said. Sure. Is she that did. on?
1: Is that on Revolver or Rubber Soul?
4: I don't know. He, I, <clears throat> those two albums are almost like one album.
1: Well, that's that's what that's what George Harrison said. But you're not George Harrison. No, I'm not. But Day Tripper. She Said, She Said is on... Daytripper's not on either of records. Soul. Uh, she Said, She Said is on Revolver.
4: Let me look. at I have my car? No, Norwegian Wood. That's why. Norwegian Wood.
1: You don't like Norwegian... Oh, you think Rubber Soul is the best because of Norwegian Wood.
4: Well, Nowhere Man...
1: Nowhere Man's good, but... What about I'm Only Sleeping? That's Revolver. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's better. Taxman... Uh. You're there, and everywhere. She Said, She Said, For No One, And Your Bird Can Sing. Toronto mm-hmm. Never Knows. It's, yes. it's just a better record.
4: Well, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's a different record, but not by a whole lot. You Run just said your... it
1: wasn't. You just said that they
4: were very <laughs> similar. <laughs> yeah.
1: Rubber right. Soul Stars, I Would Drive My Car. That's probably the worst opening song of their entire career.
4: Only because... Beep, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, uh, uh, uh,
1: it's not for me. Nowhere Man is great. Uh, you won't see me. That, it's not. In my life is obviously amazing, but I, song for song, it's just.
3: I don't think you can. I don't think you should brush off "You Won't See Me" as fast as you just did. That's a pretty good song.
1: Okay. Run for your life.
4: Run for your life. That's not a good song. No, it's a good song. I mean, it's no, it's no, 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 no. it's the most monkey-sounding Beatles song. <laughs> if you can great. put it. If you can say that. <laughs>
1: yeah with a little bit of extra added heap of misogyny.
4: Uh, I read somewhere that John Stolson was lyrics from somebody else. It's a couple of those lines. Some blues song probably. Yeah. I've been reading that everywhere I go lately. What that John
1: stole this and John stole that?
4: No, everybody stole this
1: and everybody stole that.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's how it works. I know it is, but you know, you don't realize it's as bad as it is.
1: It's well, the the saying goes that uh Amateurs borrow, pros steal. Have you ever heard that saying before?
4: I've heard it, and I believe it.
1: Now, I'm not. I'm not saying which kind I am—a stealer or a borrower. <laughs> I'm not trying to say anything like that. I'm just saying that that is a saying, and it's, it's something that um, I'm quite fond of. Ben, how are you?
3: I'm fine. Are you guys talking about? Are you
4: fighting about rubber sole versus revolver? Yes. I'm on the Rubber Soul camp, and it sounds like Scott's talking. Revolver is.
1: I am squarely in the Revolver camp.
4: I listen.
1: Rubber
3: Soul has its only love, which is maybe one of my favorite Beatles songs of all time. So,
1: I mean, it, in my life is on that is on that record. I'm taking
3: you know. its only love over in my life.
1: No, dude, no. In my life is just, just incredible. But song for song, I, I think there's more classics on Revolver. And it's, it's it, I think it's a more interesting record, just from it's, a production standpoint
4: as well. Yeah, but it came after, so it's going to be more interesting because of that. Okay. Is there a different... <laughs> it, did, are Rubber Soul and
3: Revolver different in England than they are here in the States? Is, are those? Did they continue did, on with that, like, fucking around with albums here at that point?
4: I think they did. I'm looking at the Wikipedia for Rubber Soul, and it sounds like the track listing is different, and there might be a different track here or there. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it, or it
1: looks like it. Both. So, Ben, uh, we're, we're back home for yeah. a couple of days. Uh, it feels weird. Um, but on, what, in between, and we only played four shows. We were gone for eight days. We only played four shows. But we stopped off and visited Gabe. I heard we, audio of this. <laughs> yeah. You did? We, uh, we hit a, a Mexican restaurant. Mi Familia. Uh, mi, mi Familia. Which sounds very <laughs> Italian to me. It, it does a little bit. But uh, it was great. I thought it was great. Great? And, yes. I wouldn't go that far. It Gabe was didn't really, like it. I listened to really the tape. Good.
3: Gabe was not happy with his ranchero. There was tomatoes burying the whole thing. and
1: Oh, my was... God. Tomatoes. All he had to do was scrape <laughs> it off. I I, I think if, if Gabe didn't like that place, they were really nice. Uh, the food was great. The horchatas looked amazing. I didn't get one, but it looked incredible. The chips and salsa was good. I had that um the Diablo sauce was great. And it was different than other Diablo sauce I've I've had, okay? Mm-hmm. But that didn't mean it wasn't great. And so sure. my thinking here is Gabe is being an asshole about the about the Mexican food down south. Like he doesn't want to like it. Because there was really nothing To complain about with this place, Gabe.
3: Gabe, how long have you been
1: living down there? In the
3: South, I've been here almost a year now. It's been a year, pretty much. So I I want to jump in and defend Gabe in this instance. Okay, good. Because I spent 30 years living in New York City, then I moved to Madison. And I spent at least five years saying, these fucking bagels are garbage. (laughs) This fucking pizza is garbage. This fucking Chinese food is garbage.
1: All right, that's but different. Now, bagels, I mean, you know, no <laughs> one is going to argue with the New York Jewish guy. Okay, about but bagels, what about the okay? pizza?
3: Maybe, and but the Chinese food, I, well, maybe.
1: I uh, mean, you know, you know, uh, uh, pizza in Wisconsin, I'm a fan of. So, uh, right, but you grew up with the pizza in Wisconsin, in the Midwest. Yeah, but I, you know, Listen, I mean, dude, When I go to I New y- y- when I go to country, when I go to New York, yeah. when I go to New York, yeah. the first thing I'm doing is grabbing a slice of pizza. It's not that I don't realize how great it is. I know I, I get do it. Realize that it's great.
3: I-, I didn't get to make my full statement.
1: You're absolutely I right. Know. When I go back to New York, I get we're just pizza, it up.
3: bagels and Chinese food. No, I know, but I just want to say, it took me a good five, maybe ten years before I turned around and realized, oh, I'm okay with everything now. Sure. Like I'll eat the fucking pizza here and I won't even complain about it. And I found the bagel place. It's like, yeah, this is all right. It's not okay, New York, so but it's good enough. So, so, your Gabe argument, will get
1: there. so your argument is saying that I'm right, basically. Like Gabe doesn't appreciate how good he has it there. Well, is you said Gabe's being saying. an asshole
3: and I I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I, Gabe, well, I, Gabe I, I is taking I his mean, time to
1: get acclimated.
3: Let's I don't t- mean, check
1: in with Gabe in about five minutes. I don't mean asshole, asshole in, in the sense of... Me being an asshole. I mean, Gabe, (laughs) you you know, like, you know, like when your dog doesn't want to take a shit and you're going, no, this dog's being a little asshole. That's, I was kind of referring to Gabe in the little dog sense of being an asshole, which is, which is done with love. Have you watched
3: the final episode of White Lotus? Because you're talking about a dog taking a shit and that reminded me
1: of the episode. Well, don't ruin it for, don't ruin it for Gabe.
3: No, no, but
1: I never started it yet. Do you think that was, do you think that was real poo? That's, that's the conversation going on around here.
3: I feel like it might have been. Although it wasn't the same poo that was then in a later shot, in in an Mm. insert. So that made me think, "Mm, I don't know.
1: It's got to be digital poo.
3: It was pretty great digital poo if it was poo.
1: It was was, really good digital poo. But see how we haven't come any further than pink Pink flamingos, flamingos, you know? I mean, it's like, I, I just feel like somebody would like, it seems to me it'd just be cheaper for that guy to take a shit. But somebody on set would obviously complain about that, right? I don't know. I just read an interview
3: with that guy, and he wouldn't come clean about
1: mm-hmm. whether it was real He's <laughs> great. Yeah. I-, I love that guy. Did you ever watch um, the show that was on HBO called Looking? No. Uh, he was on it, and he was the only uh, guy that I liked. Um, like, Looking was just, the lead in that thing was like just, ugh. Yeah, you know, and I don't need I don't need the characters on my TV shows to be likable, but sure they got to be kind of likable. You know, I mean, even if even if even Tony Soprano was likable, and I don't care what you say, he was likable.
3: You know who's likable on White Lotus is what's his name Uncle what's his face from Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah, John Grease. John Grease. Has he been on other things between this and Napoleon Dynamite? I don't remember seeing him again. Now, it took me a while to figure out who I was I don't know.
1: To it, it, but it, it's totally one of those things when you see him, you're, 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 you're very excited. Yeah. You know,
4: you know I, went like, to, I went to a costume party dressed as Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite one year, and, and I won. I won <laughs> that contest. Not because I dressed like him, but because I look like
1: him. That story so. is problematic. So... Were you the only person of? Were you the only brown person at that party?
4: Uh, it was Kenosha. It was a poker party. So yes. And so yes.
1: So everyone just thought it was really funny to give Gabe a, a present because he looked like Pedro,
4: dude. And then you go to meet familia and you treat them like jerks. I treat them like jerks. I, I didn't treat them like anything but familia. <laughs> Gabe, have you. Is that even Spanish you, uh, for family? I don't think it is. Yes. Have
3: you gone on Google and tried to search like best Mexican? I don't know the city you're in in North Carolina and I don't want to know on the air because.
4: I'm, know, I'm near I'm near Greenville, South Carolina. But South Carolina. I, I've another been to Greenville, a good place. Another magic mart. I've, I've, anyway, I've looked it up and we've gone to probably 15 places over here. And, uh, see, no, but I'm saying have you looked like best we, Mexican? Have you looked
3: for people recommending good Mexican or are you just seeing what's near you?
1: It's just saying you should Google best Mexican. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Which doesn't always work.
3: You you could say, you could get a much more specific search. Say like, I'm from uh, Illinois. What's going to be my best bet for Mexican in South Carolina? That's the kind of thing you
1: need to search. But well, here's the thing. He wanted to meet at the exact same Mexican restaurant that we ate with him the last time. Oh. The one that he said wasn't that good. Right. See, so he's, there's not there's not enough Google searches in the world for, <laughs> for Gabe to go, you know, if he's going back to a place that he thought was mediocre, I, there's no helping, Gabe.
4: Now, you came on my lunch break at work. I, 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 get, an, I get an hour for lunch, and he, they came at my lunch break, and I'm like, okay, I can't go too far. Right. If I really wanted to take you someplace nice, we would have went downtown Greenville. We would have sat down and had the best place around. I forgot the name of it. but Oh, so you do have a place. So this is all just one big pose. There is a place that we like, yes, but their enchiladas aren't that good. I get the huevos rancheros. How do you feel
1: about defending the guy now, Ben? I don't like it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is all sorts of jibber-jabber.
3: What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, as, 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 <laughs> as recently as last week, you were saying you had yet to find a place that was any good.
4: Well, there's one place that's halfway decent, See? but I don't like their enchiladas. I like it's their huevos rancheros. The huevos rancheros you like are about, good.
3: What, do you, what don't you like
4: about their enchiladas? The ranchero sauce? Or the lack of? yes, yeah, they, they use mole, like this brown mole, and I want I want ranchero sauce. Have you talked to them about it?
1: <laughs> you He got ranchero sauce the other day. It was right there on the menu.
4: It was sliced tomatoes on top. It wasn't and you, close.
1: And you're like, they don't have the ranchero tomato. sauce. I'm like, it's right there. If you read it right there on the menu.
4: It wasn't as good.
1: And, let's and, go to the audio. Okay,
0: game. <clears throat> Here we are.
4: Sometimes when you think ranchero sauce uh, enchilada means something more than just tomatoes on top. But so this you, is tomatoes
1: on top. You basically got like a lettuce. You basically got a salad
4: on it. Yeah, where's the enchilada? It's under there. We'll see. I need I need some of this stuff. I need some Take tomato sauce on top of my tomatoes. I'll tell you after one bite if this is the real deal or if this is Southern style Here we go. This is it, everybody. Okay.
0: Come on. Never mm. used a pork before? Smells mm. spicy.
4: It's a Southern style enchilada. <laughs> <laughs> Let's will, go yeah, to Tacos El Norte in Waukegan and we we'll, we'll, we'll finish that it up. Tacos El Norte. <laughs> you know, they closed down, you know that, right? No, they didn't. There's like ten of them in Lake County. They didn't close that down.
1: And they all closed down. Because they their customers their customer left.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so Scott, you sounded not so happy after your first show on the road. Um
1: No like you it was not good. A, yeah.
0: Alright, so that was the first one. For cheers. Cheers do you think it was good because I, I i mean it was terrible like i was out of tune and it was like fun. it's like one of those things when you get up there and you're like sitting there and thinking how you're going to kill and then you get up there and you can't kill you try to kill and then you're up there and then it's kind of one of those things i was up there
1: thinking we're not that good like you know what i mean you get up there and you go i know what i want to do i know what I think I can do and then you can't
0: do it and then you realize you're not as good. You're not as good as other people who can walk up there and fucking throw down. Well, yeah. the heat played a factor, but I mean other than that I think. Yeah, but if we were good, if we were that good, the heat wouldn't matter. Right? Right. I, mean, I just felt like, really like I had no heat. business being up there tonight. Well, we did. We did business. <laughs> Uh, It's just it's 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 demoralizing, is what it is.
1: But how the how the next no, better right? The next night was was the first night. The next night was great. Uh, Two shows were outside; those both sucked for me personally. And then the two shows inside were a delight. Um, So yeah, after that first show, I was just kind of like, wow, I'm not good at this you know I shouldn't be doing this mm. and then the second night everything just went perfectly and it was uh, you know it's it was weird it was weird getting out there but um, but yeah that first show I was just like well this isn't any fun and I'm not good so why am I wasting everybody's time
3: do you notice people in the audience just, behaving differently than pre-pandemic are people staying away from each other
1: Um, I mean I've heard a few things uh Some people that were worried about getting close to other people at the St. Louis show. And that was outside. Hmm. But you know, people like, like in Kansas city, everyone was wearing a mask and the owners of the club weren't fucking around. You, you know, you had to wear a mask and you know, there was a little lax in Myrtle beach, but that's to be expected because of fucking Myrtle beach. But, um, you know, we had the masks on. There was a couple of people that were like, you know, go ahead, take the mask off. We don't have any COVID in Myrtle Beach. I'm like, I'm not getting sent home because of you. And, right. you know, this, this is nobody wants to get sent home from this tour. And, you know, I was talking to Gabe the other day. There's a lot of naysayers saying, oh, this is going to get shut down. And, you know, but from what I'm seeing out there, everyone is committed to not having that happen, you know, because I don't think anybody thinks that they can survive that again. Plus, it didn't work the first time because, you know, nobody fucking wants to go along with anything. So I think this is the only way to do it. And if people get pissed and butthurt about not being able to come to the show because they don't have a vaccine, then fuck you. Get a vaccine or let's just wait till all this other stuff blows over. You know, I, I, I just don't see any other way. Shutting down and going home again is not the way. Let's try Try it this way. And they can complain all they want. That's how I feel. When you go to these
3: cities that are famous for barbecue, like Kansas City or St. Louis or whatever, what do you do as a vegetarian?
1: Well, I just don't eat it. But uh, in Kansas City, they sell a barbecue sauce that I'm really fond of. Uh, They sell it at this gas station slash barbecue joint, which looks like it's pretty good. But uh, it's a sauce called Night of the Living Barbecue Sauce, and it's got a bunch of zombie cows on the uh, <laughs> on the label. And it's spicy barbecue sauce, and it is great. It's so, what really, do you put really, it good. on? My hand. I just you know dump it in my <laughs> hand, yeah. just sit there and lick, lick it off, watching Three's Company episodes. Great. <laughs> Oh, look who it is. Hey, everybody. It's Michael Bland.
5: Hey. <laughs> hey, everybody.
1: Michael, that's Gabe over there, and that's Ben.
5: Hello there. I think I met Gabe before, didn't I? Uh, didn't I come met to you in the shows. I
4: met you in Milwaukee.
5: Yeah, I, that's right.
4: You were uh, you were hanging out. I was hanging out. We had that's a few right. laughs. Uh huh. Sure.
1: Yeah. How was the drive home?
5: Uh, it's cold. It's pretty uneventful, which is how you like it. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's a little longer than
1: I was hoping for. Like we didn't get home until a little bit after six, and I was kind of like, "Let me out of this van."
5: Oh well, I believe it. I mean, we yeah. didn't we didn't get going until two, and uh I think we pulled in around nine forty-five in the morning. It's so. pretty respectable. Yeah, it's eh, you know it's uh. You know, once once you get the gummies in your system, you just kind of fall out. So. <laughs> well, I mean, how did you
1: how did you do personally for yourself? Like last week, you know, just being. I mean, did you have problems getting back on the horse like I did? You know, after seventeen months.
5: Wow, uh, probably not uh, to the same degree. Only because we we had a gig in New Linux, Illinois, not mm-hmm. too long before, and we've been in pretty. Regular rehearsal, like uh, we're not Nazis about it, but you know it's. uh it, I know that you can appreciate from just from being a, a songwriter. It's like if you've got so many works at your disposal, you want to keep your mind kind of, you know, attached in some way, shape, or form. I, I don't. I can't imagine what it's like for Dave Perner to have all those songs in his head, and okay, we're doing these twenty. You yeah. know, So, plus we like to mix it up here and there. So I guess it's just I I like to rehearse. A lot of people don't care to, but um, I think of rehearsal is really a, a privilege. And I guess that just goes as far back as you know, back in back in my days with Prince. It's just we did more rehearsing than anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's just an environment that I'm comfortable in. I like to know. I like to have the music. Under my hands before I, before I get
1: there. Right. Sometimes you get with somebody and, and you're rehearsing, and you're like, all right, let's do that song again. They go, again, we just played it. That's rehearsal. What do you, you think is going on here? I don't want to play it again. We have to play it again.
5: Well, I mean, there are many rehearsals, we're going down the list, and Pern will just skip Black Gold, Runaway Train, like, you know, mm-hmm. all the ones that are just, you know, right. what do they call them? Stalwarts, st- <laughs> <laughs> standards. Yeah, like the ones where it's just like, oh, man. Like, if you don't play it, you know. I mean, what's what would be the three that you would skip in rehearsal for Local H if you felt like you had the option? Great question.
1: Uh, <laughs> Well, like, we skipped. We haven't rehearsed a lot of those songs in a while, like High Five Motherfucker and stuff like that. You know, it's just like, we we know this.
5: Well, yeah, you know that one's going to go. It's yeah. going to, yeah, it's you know it like the back of your own hand, I'm sure. Here's a
1: question that just occurred to
3: me for both of you. You've been, you've already toured together. Has there ever been and will there ever be a mashup where you do high five and motherfucker into sexy motherfucker and then back out into high five wow. motherfucker? Because I think that would be wow, unbelievable.
5: Yeah, I don't see Soul Asylum going down that road. I try to keep my peas and carrots separate. No,
3: I'm not talking about Soul Asylum. I'm talking about you get on you get up for the for the local H set and you know and we're we'll going to sexy or, or, motherfucker yeah, yeah you and Ryan like wow. do two drum sets at once and you do high fiving <laughs> sexy high fiving
5: I hadn't really thought about it up until That's now so <laughs> you know
1: what before I, I thought about it 10 minutes ago because I I had i uh, I've had get off in my head all day oh, um wow. because you know I was like you know what I I remember watching those videos with you and, and I wanted to I wanted to check it out and uh so I was watching that, and you know, I haven't heard that song in a while, but it's been in my head all day. And then I was thinking, was that the raunchiest song that you did in that period? And then I realized, no, it had to be Sexy Motherfucker.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, that's a toss up. Cause really, if you take the video and the song get off, you've got mm-hmm. pretty much like a, uh, you know, uh, like a a slumber party at Caligula's. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, sexy MF is more about, like, uh, I don't know. Prince had this way of trying to sort of camouflage his, you know, deviant uh, tendencies in this sort of, you know, like there's a code going on. It's like, it's really not just like, I don't just want you for your body. Uh, You know, it's that thing. I mean, even in Get Off, I remember him trying to justify... To uh, to Rosie Gaines, who was the the singer that, that joined the band, right? And she was like, "Prince, I don't know about this song. This is nasty." He was like, "Well, it's twenty three positions in a one night stand." What <laughs> and Prince was like, "Yeah, but the next line is, i 'I'll only call you after if you say I can.' Like, it is courtship." But then, and she was like, mm, "No, mm-mm. no, and she no. Wa- she wasn't buying it. <laughs> uh, no, it you just want to get, me. yeah, you just want to get freaky." Michael, didn't
3: he do the reverse also didn't he hide his religious leanings in some songs that you thought maybe were about sex but it turns out they were about religion
5: i'm sure he did uh you know he was um uh well read had the white bible on his on his d- desk in his office all the time so i know he was reading you know but um uh, it, yeah he was just he, prince was somebody you know i wish i could have been Real friends with him, but he liked to go places that I, I don't have the sense of adventure for. <laughs> just like, just in the spirit world, just like where he wants to put his wanted to put his energy. You know, it's just like you're talking about somebody who liked to really balance the dark with the light. That like mm-hmm. it just kind of turned him on to sort of, you know, push buttons and whatnot. I'm... It seems like most of the stuff
1: is humor with that guy. Like it seems like. He's constantly fucking with the audience. And was he constantly fucking with the band, too?
5: Yeah, I think that was just his general M.O. Yeah. I mean, it's. it? Was, I think George Clinton said, uh, it, nothing, ain't nothing good unless you play with it. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: I mean, I think that's one of the things that gets really lost about Prince was how fucking funny he was. And I mean, it's the same thing that, I mean, I think Morrissey is pretty funny. And a lot of people don't really see that part of him either, you know. He's not funny anymore but uh you know he he used to be funny
5: (laughs) or he's the funniest he's ever been Mm -hmm. yeah right exactly
1: so you started playing with prince in 89 right that's right so that was right after batman yeah so did you did you have to play bat dance or anything like that
5: we never actually played it in its entirety the closest we got was on a tour called the nude tour, which was, which was in 90. Uh And, um, just somewhere during like the, like the end of the show, like the banner dropped down with the Batman logo and uh, the kind of the James Brownie part. We would, we would play that. Right. But, um, yeah, that's as close as we got to it, but we played party man from that record. We opened the show with the future. Um, right into 1999 so it was like double hitter you know it's like you know
1: i mean you know i mean i still remember how batman was everywhere and i mean did that spill over into the shows that kind of batman hysteria or was that just like whatever
5: no it didn't really it was um we didn't even tour the united states on that tour it was just uh europe and japan Mm -hmm. so I, i don't think prince was very much Interested in taking full advantage, you know, he's uh, but he's he was always the type of artist who did everything they could to uh, delineate from like any sort of like uh, vulgar use of sponsorship, or he didn't like the feeling of being owned, right? You know, so it's like you know, now everybody wanted a piece, he did McDonald's and you know, Burger King, and you know, any all the huge conglomerates would offer money and he'd always opt to bankroll his own tour yeah Um, at least in the states sometimes when we got over to to Europe depending on where we were at you know I know there was some wheeling and dealing there but he was always very aware of when it was happening
1: right it's pretty acceptable over there as far as you you could get away with it a little bit more right Mm -hmm.
5: right and so he you know he cut corners where he could you know but, um, I mean, he was by no stretch of the imagination a frugal person anyway. I mean, he
4: was just, <laughs> I mean,
5: just, he loved to spend, you know? Yeah. So, so we, we had Perner on here a
1: couple of weeks ago, and we had Ryan on here last week. And So we've been talking about the Minneapolis scene a lot. Um, and, you know, Dave, Dave had a golden age in, in the Minneapolis scene, and Ryan much less so. So, I mean, what was... What was your Minneapolis scene in the beginning Um, like?
5: I, um, because there's always a place for a decent drummer. Like if you play pretty good, you can, it doesn't matter who it is. They'll, they'll let you get in there and, you know, do your thing. So I was very, uh, fortunate in the fact that I knew a little bit of everybody. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, uh, Dave and I have a lot of mutual friends, actually, even though uh, a great deal of them are, let's see, I'm 52. Dave's, I think, like 55, so kind of like Dan. Yeah. Dan Murphy, you know, like, he and Carl went to Marshall U High. My sisters went to Marshall U High. So there was always this sort of proximity that you didn't really know about or was uh, irrelevant because nobody had done anything yet, (laughs) you know. Yeah. But, um, once things started moving, as, you know, at least from where I was at, I, it's just, I remember when, like, the replacements got their first record deal, and, you know, and then uh, Husker Du turned, signed to Warner Brothers, and so on and so forth, you know, so it was, it was the local culture really was um uh, always supportive, you know, musically. It just, uh you know, Prince just came along and sort of, busted everything wide open with a completely different Minneapolis sound. That is the, you know, that's the real strange part is that they call the Minneapolis sound what Prince did, but it's not predicated on anything that anybody else knows about what was going on musically here. That's because Prince grew up over north. You know, you've got, you know, it's, I mean, Minneapolis is, Ghetto, you know, quote unquote. And so, you know, it's, um, even in talking to some of his mentors like Sonny Thompson, who played bass with Prince when I was playing in the band, Sonny basically was, you know, taught Prince, uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot of, um, not formal education musically, but Sonny knew a lot about harmony and, uh, and, um, and uh, was just—I mean, even now to this day, he's uh, sunny as Harold. It is basically uh, Minneapolis's true musical genius. Everybody mm-hmm. learned from this guy. Everybody, you know, is still in awe of him. Um, but he would say, you know, they—they they all listen to you know, KQ ninety two. They listen to the, the rock station because we're in the middle. We're in the Midwest, so you know, radio wasn't. We had KMOJ, but you had to damn near drive into the parking lot of the station to hear it. And you got that 60-cycle hum, you know, <laughs> but they would play, like, the bar K's and the Ohio Players and, you know, funky music, you know, soul music. But, you know, the, the, the powerhouse has always been KQ92, the classic album rock station. So if you were going to be involved in music almost in, in, in Minneapolis proper... Rock and roll was going to seep in there somehow, you know, which is also why Prince's approach was so diverse and they wanted to call him a black artist. But, you know, I mean, it's that's, you know, um, you can't limit his legacy or his influence that way.
1: No, that it was one of the few moments in a long time where. You felt like white audiences and black audiences were into the same exact thing. And that exactly. record was the same exact thing. And, and even at that young age, I realized that that was a really rare thing that was happening.
5: Yeah, it's bizarre that it would happen. And also in one of the most, I think, you know, uh, racially polarized states in the union, <laughs> that the music ended up being the great equalizer. Yeah. And I mean, as much as Perner would go, you know, catch Prince at first half, Prince would also be hanging around, you know. Some nights at first, dev go in the main room, or not go in the main room, but go in the entry, and see, you know, maybe Soul Asylum was in there. Maybe Husker Du, he'd go in there, you know, and check those guys out. The difference is, he'd leave, and the entire audience and the <laughs> at the union would just follow him back into the main room.
1: I love the image of Prince watching Husker Du. That is, that's the best. He,
5: he was up on it. I mean, he's. Uh, Prince knew, knew very well about, you know, Paul Westerberg and and Perner and coming up. Um, I actually tracked with Paul in 95 um, for a record called Eventually, mm-hmm. and he, he tracked at Studio B in Paisley. That's kind of how I got the gig. I was just kind of walked in to talk to him. I'd never met him before. I'm like, oh, bud, I live here. I could go yeah. talk to Paul, <laughs> Paul Westerberg <laughs> right. if I want. Yeah. So... We were shooting some video, and I had a break, so I waited until the guy watching the door like took a bathroom break, and I just walked in. We started talking within about fifteen minutes. He's like, "Well, I got a couple of songs that need drums. You want to play on these?" Nice, you know. And um, this was right around uh, when Bob Stinson died, and uh, Paul said that he came in one morning into Studio B, and they turned the lights on, and the control room had been filled up with balloons like helium balloons just everywhere and uh i mean i never got to ask prince whether he's the one who did it but i think he's oh. the only one who would have done it you know so yeah you know he really he knew a lot more about what was going on around him than if his music would be lie or you know i mean he was the one who asked me he said how did that stand up and be strong song do for soul asylum i said eh, did all right i mean we're on a you know a uh a subsidiary of Sony called Legacy, and they mainly do like uh what do they call it like uh a re they they like they were yeah reissues yes, yeah. thank you, so they didn't really have much of a budget for promotion, but I mean, we got it out there and it did okay, and he was just like that song should have been a hit, yeah, you know, and that's how he got interested in it and then ended up ended up covering it and uh that's actually on the new record they dropped by princes his version of Stand Up and Be Strong.
1: How how that, how'd that sit with Dave? Had not blow his mind a little? Oh, uh,
5: I think so. I mean, I literally, I was standing in the studio, and he was like, well, I don't want to record it unless Dave's all right, because I don't want any trouble later on. What kind of I trouble? Said, I, I don't know. It's just like, you know, he just felt like he really needed to have Dave's permission to mess <laughs> with his work like that. I mean, Prince is just, you know. Yeah. I mean, people like to think of him as this, you know, <laughs> this petulant, star who had, you know, me, 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 me you know, an ego, you know, a mile wide and long. And all, while all those things are true, he also was a true musician yeah. in every sense, you know, and understood proprietorship and, you know, intellectual property. And his he had to feel right about things for him to do things. So I stepped out into the hall and I called Perner on my cell phone. I'm like, hey, man, Prince wants to cover Stand Up and Be Strong. He's like, what? Yeah, he wants your permission. He's like, Well, absolutely, man, definitely. <laughs> like yeah, you know, tell him I said hi and you know, that he you know, he 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 uh he was great on the, the Super Bowl halftime show. It was like right around oh, there.
1: Oh, right around there, yeah.
5: Yeah. So I said, Okay. Well he just wanted to make sure you were cool. And uh so that's how that happened. I'm just I guess I'm saying all that to say that as much as people try to separate him, he wasn't that separate from everybody else. Right. Perner and Westerberg—they were always recording at Paisley, so you know uh, we were always seeing local artists come through, you know, because of the the, the state of the art, you know, the quality level of uh, it was the the best studio within, you know, yeah, a uh, uh, you know certain uh, parameters of the city, you know, you'd have to go to like uh Pachyderm or something uh, in uh, Cannon yeah. Falls to get. Right. Another yeah, that same sort of pro level. But yeah, there's nothing room, around there. I mean if you get get the Canon Falls, it's just great. the woods and Jason. Yeah <laughs> just out there in the woods <laughs> waiting for you to <laughs> There's some
1: there's some ghosts in that room. That room really it's a that room it's alive. You know, you start playing and you're you're like, Wow, this has got some history.
5: Oh yeah. Pachyderm is definitely alive. I don't always like hanging around there. Yeah. You know, it's uh it, I, I agree. I think that there's um There's some other presents. There's like others hanging around there. And it doesn't. Something at the bottom of that pool. Definitely in that pool. In that pool room, there's something going on. Yeah. But uh, I'll just say just even just like going in to use the bathroom, I was like standing in front of the commode. And I'm looking in the corner. I'm like, who like rolled a ball of socks up and threw it in the corner? And I'm looking. (laughs) And all of a sudden, this thing sprouts legs. And I'm like, oh, it's a wolf spider. I'm going to get out of here Uh right now. (laughs) I'm frightened.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So when you were working on that Westerberry record, was that with Brendan O'Brien?
5: No. I can't remember the name of the producer. Lou Lou, Giordano? uh, That's him. Yeah. That's right. He had worked on a record with um, Paul's ex-wife's band. I can't remember the name of the band. Zuzu's Pedals was the name of the band. Yeah. And Lou had done a, he was like, well, he made them sound pretty good. He, he you know, he'll do a much better job with me probably. As I yeah. think was his.
1: He does idea. good work.
5: Yeah, this good work. If you make them sound like that, then I'm going to sound like, you know, so.
1: Right. Well, Ben's a huge Westerberg fan. Come on, Ben. What do you got?
5: Okay.
3: Michael, I saw you uh, in 96 at Irving Plaza on the Eventually tour. And I'd been I'd been seeing the replacements t- two times a tour since 1984, and it's so I'd Whoa. seen seen them a dozen times, you know, when they were mm-hmm. together, and never saw a show that I didn't love and didn't wasn't thankful to have seen. And, but when I saw you guys play that '96 show at Irving Plaza, and also like a Tower Records little mini set before the show, I couldn't fucking believe it, and it was I was it was like a whole different Westerberg. Like he was wearing those three piece suits and he like, it was like, he was like all business. He was like, I'm now going to stop fucking around and I'm going to play 25 songs that I know are the, like the best songs ever written. I'm just going to play them with this amazing band and we're going to power through it. At least that's how the show came off to me. And I was, you know, as much as I loved him, I loved him even more on that tour. Cause it was like, he wasn't, dicking around and he wasn't doing, at least that night. But was the whole tour like that? And was that the sort of goal of the tour? Was that like something that you guys talked about? Like, we're just gonna sh- blow everyone away with this show every night?
5: I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I think he he just, I, I don't know how much calculation really with Paul, because he's another one. People don't really, they think they get him, but they don't. Uh I thought I got him and I didn't. The first time I went to his house to uh to talk about, you know, what we were gonna do, um I was like, oh hey man, where's the bathroom? Oh, uh right in there, and I go in and um the first thing I see is a huge poster of uh Thelonious Monk on his wall.
0: Yeah.
5: And so I'm like thinking to myself, Well, what is this, <laughs> you know, godfather of, you know, Midwestern punk music doing with, you know, Thelonious Monk on his wall. So I come out of the bathroom, like, dude, are you into jazz? And he starts showing me all these books and records on vinyl. And just, we get into a whole conversation about everything else, except what we were supposed to get to that day. Right. But, um, you know, it's, the thing is, is that you can't really, uh I don't know. I guess the moral of the story is just, you you know, you, just because someone presents in a certain kind of way, it has nothing to do with their potential or their the depth of, you know, what they could do if they chose to. I mean, I don't know that he's, you know, he never played anything that sounded like jazz on the guitar, but for someone who was so interested in a music that seems to have no correlation, you know, with what he's known for. You know, there's some stuff in there. I mean,
1: maybe more country honky tonk, but you know, he's always willing to put different elements in, into those things.
5: Yeah, I'm, the "Sad Dog in the Rain" and yeah, out, yeah, outlaw country and all that. That's all there. Yeah, I, I agree. But um just the fact that, he, and even like, yeah, blues records, muddy waters and whatnot. Like, he's definitely, you know, into all that. Yeah, and that that, those parts come through. But when I think about, you know, I guess jazz, it's it 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 implies something else. It implies, you know, snobbery. It implies, you know, complicated. You know,
1: it does. But but like the real guys, like you know, like you're talking about, those guys are anything but snobs. Those guys are they were dangerous. You know, They, they were they were as punk rock as you know you can get. Absolutely, I remember. I actually, hate to say stuff like that, but it's kind of you know, it's true, you know.
5: It's true. Perner and I one day started talking about Little Richard. I'm like, that's as punk rock as you yep. can get. Yeah. Little Richard really was punk rock.
1: Yeah. You know. Totally.
5: So, and I think that you know, Paul would probably say the same thing. It's it, you know they, um, uh, yeah, I, I would agree that you know it's it's probably more more common than not, but I guess I only sort of began to understand it when I started hanging around him and then also hanging around Dave and Dan, it's like, there's not a, like a disco song from the seventies that those guys don't know. Right? <laughs> like, why are y'all listening to disco? It's like, well, how are you going to avoid it? You know? Yeah. So instead of hating it, they just sort of went with it. You know, it doesn't really show up in soul asylums music, but you know, it just, you know, you're not limited to, to what you do, I guess is all right. I'm trying to say.
1: Right, so I mean, you started in the church. You talked to me about this before. You started playing in the church. What? How old were you when that started?
5: Oh, nine or ten.
1: <laughs> what denomination was the church?
5: Uh, well, it started out. I, I started out at the uh, at the uh, at the Missionary Baptist Church, but
1: uh-huh.
5: dr- having drums in the service was still kind of revolutionary at that time. Y- yeah. And the pastor and some of the deacons kind of had a problem. So me and my dad, my dad was playing or- organ and piano at the, at the church. And he decided, well, if, you know, if my son's not welcome, then we're going to go somewhere else. So yeah. then we went uh, a few blocks down and over to a, a Kojic church. That's Church of God in Christ. And they had a little more, you know, a little more, uh, you know, giddy up. Mm-hmm. You know, catching the Holy Ghost and whatnot, a little more like the Blues Brothers movie.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that, uh, the Aretha Franklin movie, mm-hmm. and, and, and they're, uh, they're in a Baptist church. And I, I went to a Baptist church growing up. I'm like, that's not like the Baptist church I went to.
5: Well, and you like, in Chicago? Definitely not.
1: No, no, no. I was not in Chicago. In Where were you? Zion, Illinois.
5: <laughs> What's, well, tell me about that. What's that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Zion, Illinois is, uh, at one time, it, it had more churches per capita than any city in the U.S. And it was, it, I think, is it still dry? It's still a dry town. Uh, it was started as a theocracy. So I've got a lot of baggage from that
4: place.
5: I, I think there's a TV show in there. Yeah. <laughs> Zion, Illinois? Dude, Zion, I'm already Illinois, yeah. sold.
4: Gary yeah. Coleman. Gary Coleman's from Zion.
1: Gary Coleman's from Zion. Shoes are from Zion.
5: Wow. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I I I hear a I I I. There's a next Netflix uh, series in there somewhere. It wouldn't yeah. be
1: the worst thing in the world. But like, so you
5: super Christian, super most churches in... <laughs>
1: yeah. And then all the kids are actually just you know getting high and drinking at the dude. You know, you've got drinking at the yeah. You could that's, do that.
5: That's content right there. Yeah. What you got there, Scott? Yeah.
1: So you're <laughs> you're nine, and you're starting to play in churches, and your dad's just taking you along, and this is this is your education, basically, right?
5: Uh, I had formal. I mean, I had a teacher. Yeah. I had, uh, yeah. You know how to read. Uh, how to read? How to how to get paid? How to you know yeah. all all the, everything? It's really like um how to be versatile this is a uh-huh. real thing that I got from Floyd Thompson. He's still teaching to this day. He teaches at um at Bongo and Buds, uh like uh-huh. Drum Emporium
0: yeah.
5: over in uh, Hopkins. And oh hi Bongo in case you're listening to this. Um uh Floyd, great teacher. taught a lot of really great drummers from from the city. Um he used to run a drum shop called Thompson's Drum Shop on 10th and Marquette downtown Minneapolis. And, uh, yeah, he was a, a, kind of a cantankerous old dude, mm-hmm. but he still is a cantankerous old dude. But I remember my dad took me for my first lesson. He just told him, he's like, well, if, if this kid has no aptitude, I'm not going to take him. I'm not just doing this for money. I don't need the aggravation. Like, right, right away, he was just like, I'm not, you know, if you if he, if, if he doesn't have it, you know, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> so Did you
1: have to go to the top of the hill and live with the guy for 10
5: years? <laughs> <laughs> like, ha. Yeah. Like no, it's, it's a little bit of a yeah, I guess kind of a kung fu folklore. Yeah. But um but uh yeah, it it uh, he taught me I from 9 years old to about 17 I was with him. You know, it got into like more of the symphonic instruments and you know, reading for mallets and all of that, but I I, I was gigging so hard that he was just getting upset cuz I didn't have time to study. Right. So it's just like, why don't you come back to me when you have time for this? And that never happened.
1: Never happened. Never happened. Wow. I
5: mean, that that would have been seventeen. Two years later, I was working for Prince. So.
1: And so, yeah. I mean, as soon as you st- like, were you when you were nine? Were you like, this is what I want to do, or at, did it start, sort of drift away and come back, or was were you just besotted from the beginning? Just you were in.
5: I, I think I was imbued with the gift right away. It took till I was probably 14 before I really understood like, oh, this is it. You know, up until then, it was just like, I, you know, people, oh, hey, you know, people were complimentary and this and that. And, you know, I had a lot of encouragement and uh, I had some challenges too, because, um, um, uh, how do I explain exactly? Uh, Just because, um, sometimes you don't have the experience necessary. know what to do in certain Mm -hmm. situations. Like the first time we went to like a a real Pentecostal church, they broke out in that cut time, you know, like, that I'm a soldier, (laughs) (laughs) and I just kind of froze, like, what am I supposed to do here? Mm -hmm. And some dude walked up and just like put his elbow in my chest, like, get up, get up, and started hitting (laughs) it, man, you know? Right. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, that's what's supposed to happen. I'm not going to let that happen happen again. Right. You have to have the humility to to learn and not be discouraged just because, you know, somebody is trying to show you something right. that that you didn't know. And I guess that's really is the, the best part of my disposition. The one part that worked best for me is that it, and no one was ever able to shame me out of going after for what after what I wanted, you know. And no one would be able to talk me out of it. You know, no amount of uh uh you know, uh, the, uh, no kind of feedback was negative to me. Mm-hmm. Any, I just needed to know, like, how good was I? You know, what did I need to work on to get better? I just wanted to be the best musician I could be, really. Yeah. You know.
1: Who were your favorite drummers, like when you were growing up?
5: Oh wow! Well, you know, I, I, again, like I was saying earlier, it's classic rock, completely. Runs the Midwest, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, Joey Kramer. Just all all the rock and really? roll dudes. Ainsley Dunbar. Ainsley. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, Phil Collins, I think, is a great drummer. He was. Yeah. You know. Uh, Keith Moon, you kind of had to like him. But as I got older, I just like, oh, man, that's a lot of. It's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, Neil Peart, of course. Billy Cobham, I listened to. Yeah. Stuart Copeland I, I I really was into. Uh you know just the, the, the standard fare. It wasn't until later uh, when I was in high school uh also like when the David Letterman show came on the late night with David Letterman and so Steve Anton but before that even Steve Jordan. Oh right, like, Steve was before was like, Anton. Was wow. he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Steve was before Anton. And uh so that was like watching a you know Clinic nightly, you know. Yep. Be up, you know, till one o'clock watching that show just to see, just to just to listen, just to see, like, oh, that's what these guys are like. That's what they do. I want to be one of those guys, you
1: know. Right. So you you're always wanting to be the the journeyman, like you. Yes,
5: you, I, yeah. I was never interested in in being, you know, um, like the spotlight. Don't interest me. It's 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 I, I you know I guess I would equate it to. I heard I saw. Jerry Seinfeld say something about he was not fascinated with the success of being a comic. He was fascinated with the lifestyle. But yeah, that's yeah. like I want to be one of those guys, right? You know, you stay out late. Yep. You know
4: you <laughs> yep. you know what I mean.
5: I know. You're exactly making music. You, you you know you're having a good time. You you know it's it's the fraternity of it. I guess. Yeah. In lieu of sports, that's what I got.
1: Right. You know? But I mean you. Whether or not you wanted the spotlight, like you know, you you're very recognizable. Like you are, uh, you know, you're a star drummer. You know, so you got that anyway. That was the thing about the New Power Generation. Like you guys were like the super friends. Everybody like had a you know a character and a role to play in that mm-hmm. thing. Um,
5: yeah, that's uh, interesting. It was, it, but the, that you would put it that way. But you're absolutely right. I, and I try. Just stay objective. As I get older, and I definitely try to err on the side of caution in saying just how good that band was. But sometimes I'll go on YouTube and just dial up a random show, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Wow, you know, like that band really couldn't be touched. Yeah, it was like a freight train going, man. Like so tight. Yeah, and when- just it's so much power.
1: Yeah, when you guys were getting into a groove, you couldn't, you could not. Yeah. Break it apart.
5: I'm like, I don't know how we did it. (laughs) A lot of practice. You can tell. Well, yeah, that's true. It's like, yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's just, you know, if somebody mess up, you know, 45 minutes into the running the show, a prince would be like, ah, back to the top. (laughs) (laughs) "Ah!" (laughs) So, yeah, it was like you really encouraged, you know, not necessarily perfection, but you know, leaning towards it always.
1: Right. So he's a taskmaster.
5: Very much so. I don't know why, but he sometimes he would just kind of single me out and just somebody come get me. Prince wants you to come up front and sit with him. <laughs> so I, you know, go from wherever we were at in business class up to you know first class. Yeah. His bodyguard would get out the seat and I'd sit in it. Yeah. And for two hours he would just talk. I mean, all I did was listen, really. Like, nobody understands the troubles I got. (laughs) On the way back from London, uh, from the nude tour, he starts going into this story about how he's got the entire Love Sexy set in an airplane hangar in London. Now, he's paying $40,000 a month to store this thing. Uh It would cost half a million dollars to fly at home or or to boat at home and he spent two and a half million dollars to build it like well what do you do yeah like you know it's like it has some value sentimentally but Mm. i can't really use it you know on mass as i'm not ever going to do the love sexy tour again right what am i flying this thing home for you Mm. know it's like so it's sat. i don't know how he ever you know solved the problem but i'm like he's like just Those these these problems, you know, it's like as long with success, you get these issues that just have nothing to do with music at all. Right. Right. right.
1: You were there right during the whole artist formerly known as Prince debacle.
5: Right. Oh, yes.
1: I mean, what can you tell us about that? You know, just being (laughs) in the middle of all that. And
5: I'll say that first off, there's a documentary called Slave Trade Mm -hmm. where I talk, Sonny and I talk. A lot about what was happening then, and hopefully shed some light on uh, uh, on things because I know that was a confusing story for the public to really grasp. You know, they just thought he'd lost his mind or something. Yeah, well, you know, really.
1: that was in Warner Brothers' best interest to let that be the story.
5: Yeah, you know? absolutely, that's a good point. Uh, actually, they they more or less just let let that go ahead and run. Yeah, and you know, a lot of that had to do with just old men. Keeping power,
1: yeah, yeah.
5: You know what I mean? I do. That's all it. It's all it ever really is, isn't it? Yep. It's just yep. old people drunk with power who don't want to turn over the goods. Right. They want to reign until they die. Mm. And uh, I think, I mean, I could go through the whole story. You don't really want to hear like nuts and bolts. No, you can just line, give me some broad strokes of oh, the broad strokes is basically, or, or, or just something
1: that we might not know that, like, just kind of like crystallized it for you. It was just like, oh my god, this is the worst business, you know?
5: Well, here's what happened, basically, is Prince started talking about a record called The Gold Experience Mm -hmm. in some interview. And he ended up having a conversation with Mo Austin, who was at Warner Brothers at the time. Mo built the record business, almost, basically. So They had known each other for a long time, And, and Mo Austin was one of Prince's real champions at the label. He was supposed to get uh, get the axe after Dirty Mind. Like, his contract was over and done, and you know, I guess he was just going to do whatever from there. I'm sure somebody would have picked him up. And the label wanted to let him go. And they're like, well, he's not really doing a whole lot for us. He's kind of this, you know, Stevie Wonder Jr. character who, <laughs> this and that, you know, dirty, along comes Dirty Mind, and that changes all of that. Right. And not only that, it didn't perform so well. Like, as far as sales, right? So the whole label is like, get rid of him, and Mo was the one guy who said, no, uh, uh-uh. uh, something's coming. Like, right. there's this dude is going to do something, and we need to stay on. We need to renew his contract, and you know, ride this out. So he had the wisdom to know what Prince, you know, to, he had a sense for what might be possible, and right. you know, so it was because of Mo that that Prince stayed at Warner Brothers. And um, the altercation was over the fact that he was talking about a record. Prince was talking about this record. And Moe was talking about it. Uh, Moe called him. They talked about something else. Then they started these, oh, that Gold Experience record. Well, you know, uh, you know, good luck on finishing that. And Prince was like, I haven't even started. I haven't, it's only in my head right now. You know, it's like I haven't recorded one note. It's just a thing I'm thinking about doing. And Mo was like, well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, whatever it is, we own it anyway. So just, you know. Uh huh. <laughs> and that caused Prince to stop and say, well, wait, what are you trying to tell me exactly? You know, that the ideas in my head are as much your property as anything I hand over to you? Like, what are you implying about our relationship? Right. Like, let's not get it twisted. The business runs on the content. You know? Without me, you got nothing to, 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 to run with. Right. So, you know, and the, the conversation sort of escalated until.
1: That's all it was. It was just somebody said the wrong thing and it just kept going. I you know. You know it, it's, it's, it's more it than was. that. But,
5: it yeah. compounded with the fact that Prince wanted to do an insert for Guitar Player Magazine, uh-huh. which ended up being this bootleg called The Undertaker. Um which is just basically us jamming on the soundstage, me and Sonny and Prince. And um, it uh, Prince really liked how it turned out. I mean, it was just a jam session. He was going to use it as an insert for this interview he was going to give Guitar Player magazine. And thought he'd maybe press up a few just to give away to fans or to some of his friends. And yeah, so the local pressing plant gets this order from Paisley Park for like, you know, 500 copies of this you know, this thing and some dude working in, you know, shipping or whatever looks and says do we have anything on schedule from Paisley Park for, for, for Warner Brothers release? Uh, no. Well, this is weird. So somebody starts asking questions, you know uh-huh. and it gets back to Warner Brothers that Prince was trying to put this little you know, this thing out you know and somebody calls and says oh well uh, prince you can't do that cuz technically you're signed to Warner Brothers so you can't really just make your own CDs and uh you know what i mean like yep. it was like he was like oh okay well i get it i'm sorry I, I, it was just a little thing it wasn't like i was even going to you know sell it right it was just a thing i you know, like well it doesn't really matter like I, also he was just dissatisfied with the fact that he would make, we were making new music all the time, but if it takes a year and a half for it to come out, you know, yeah. it's no longer, it don't feel the same. Right. You know? I do. I and do. so, he, <laughs> yeah. So he wanted to, you know, figure out a way to expedite the process. Like, he was trying to work with them. Like, can we, can I drop a little more often? And they were inundated as it, you know, as it already was with, you know, not just right. everything he had, but you know, what? However how many other artists on Warner Brothers trying to drop music?
1: Right. right.
5: Prince was getting, you know, on the average, probably, you know, nine minutes a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, he just he just like, well listen, you know, and they you know, so the, the the argument kept going. It's like, well, is it the material or is it your schedule? Like, are is it the fact that you're limiting me? Or is it the fact that, you know, um uh, the, like who knows? Maybe these records would sell different if you put them out when they made sense. Mm. Hmm. Kind of, you know what yeah, I mean? It's like do. maybe if you didn't sleep on my brand new content. Right. James Brown t- did that in the '60s. He had a he had a he had a a a, a record pressing plant. He had. So did you say Prince had a, a pressing plant too? No, 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 no. I'm just okay. saying that. Prince knew all about what everybody else had okay. done. It's just like this is not impossible. James Brown had his own pressing plant, his own radio station. It, you know, like <laughs> he literally, when it was hot, he,
1: he right dropped
5: out. it on his own station, and it was yeah. out. Yeah. And then the rest of the world had to come to him to get it. Right. Yeah. So. Hmm.
1: That's a good.
0: That's a good system. system. Yeah. Yes. That's a great system.
1: So speaking of like having to wait a year, I mean, how weird is that for you with the new Solace Island record? Like, you know, you were hot to get out there and play that. And then, I mean, I know we tried to not let it affect us, but has it affect, it's affected me a little where I'm just kind of like, I almost feel the record's over. You know what I mean?
5: Yeah. We're already working on a new record. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
5: Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, how do you hold it? How do you hold on to that?
1: I don't know. It's, it sucks because I really liked that record, and now I yes, just, now I, it's almost like I don't see the point. I mean, I do see the point, but you know what I mean. It's it's hard to get that out of your head.
5: Yeah, I think that. I mean, what helps for us is that we don't really. We just kind of get out there whenever we can. It's not. I mean, it's nice to have something to tour for, but you know, I mean, to either. Uh, for, to either credit or detriment, Soul Asylum kind of always has just been there, kind of chugging along. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I mean, except for that break that they took, like at the late '90s, until I joined the band, you know. But uh, g- generally, it's a uh, it, it, we just kind of just go out and, and do it. I, I don't, I don't think. Uh, we don't really wait for, for a reason. We just, the, the reason is somebody's offering. <laughs> yeah. Somebody wants us to, oh, okay. You know, so I guess, uh, uh, yeah, I think that Perner was, his, I think we were all a bit dejected after mm-hmm. the tour got shut down. You know, and, um, but, uh, and it's been a rough, you know, how many months? 17. Yeah. Uh, I, so I'm not going to try to, I don't want to be dismissive about it, but I uh, just, I guess my mentality is always just sort of, uh, you know, what are you going to do? It's like, yep. ultimately, you just, if if you love music, you got to just go play. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, it's like, I don't even know, I, I mean, I don't want to take it into any sort of dark direction, but it's just like, just the value of music in modern society is such a, the whole thing just, just makes me mad and yeah. then slightly depressed. So I guess I just try not to focus on it. It's just that your newest record is probably really just a promotional tool for you, for right. your band and its legacy. Right. Like, you know, do they really care? I don't know.
1: But But now, It's gotten worse. It's like, you know, like, all right, you're not going to make any money off your records. Fine. But you can still make money on the road. And now they're like, well, there's no touring. You can't make money on the road. So the line keeps getting Mm -hmm. further and further.
5: They keep moving the goalposts. And that's hard to to process. I agree. It's like, what do you, I mean, it's an an impossible place to be in. What's, what's, there are no alternatives for us. Us who, we entertain. If we can't go do what we do, you know, we're done. Yeah. So I'll, I'll grant you that. I'll, I'll get on board if that's what you're saying. I, I, don't I know. agree. I
1: don't know what I'm saying.
5: <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, how have you been finding the crowds uh, on this tour so far? Just this first few. I really dug
1: the inside shows. The two outside shows, uh, I had a pretty miserable time. But inside, I was having a pretty good time.
5: Yeah, uh, somebody, uh, you know, that Kansas City gig, I was talking to that guy, I called him Mad Jack, because he looked like Mad Jack from uh, uh, Gentle Ben.
1: Yeah, Steve? Or Grizzly Adams. Oh, no, and no, no, no. That, you're talking about Paul. No, it was the yeah, guy, I the, the front of house, yeah, Paul, yeah.
5: front of house guy at Record Bar. Nice, yeah. really nice guy, I didn't yes. know his name, but, hey, Mad Jack, so yeah. what's going on here with the, you know, and um, he was talking about how he, you know, he's like, I do a lot of outdoor shows, and I'm convinced now that. Rock and roll is an indoor sport. Like yeah. you really need to be in somewhere. You got to feel the music bouncing off the walls. Yep, you has got to be close and sweaty and loud. Yeah, And outside, it just doesn't come across the same way. No, those
1: outdoor shows, I could not get a groove going. And I yeah. was like, after that first night, I was like, well, I'm no good at this anymore. And then the second night, it was like, I couldn't go wrong. So it was... It, it, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not very pro to not to be that reliant on your surroundings. I know, but it was just it was really messing with me. Uh,
5: uh, uh, yeah, I you know, I mean, but really, yeah, I mean, the pro part is just pushing through when it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And, and I get it. I I feel the same way. My 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 in ear monitors just went to crap on um. What that gig in St. Louis was it? St. Louis Music Park, yeah, yeah, I, I just like because of so much reverberation and like indirectness, it's like the sound was just leaking out of the venue, right? And but the bounce back was just—I mean, it's like I couldn't—I couldn't make head nor tail of anything. It was just oh, the sound, just <laughs> and I'm just telling myself the whole time to just keep pushing, just right. push through it. You know right. so I I understand what you're saying. I I imagine some nights you feel the same way. It's like nothing seems to be working, but I have to stick to the plan.
1: Yeah. 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 You do. I mean, like I said, it's it's been a crazy year. And one one last thing I want to talk to you about uh, in in regards to this year is that thing that you did in Rolling Stone um after George George Floyd. And uh, you said something that I really loved. And you uh, said, one irrational response begets another irrational response. And, uh, and uh, that was the most sensible thing that I heard anybody say all year about what happened.
5: Wow. I, I didn't know you were paying attention to what little old me had to say, Stan. Yeah. I'm, really, I'm really flattered that you would even take the time out to, to read that <laughs> to read not to read period know, but just to I read know, anything I, I, I don't think of myself as any sort of you know people keep saying well you're an influencer you say stuff on Facebook and people actually respond it's uh, like I don't see it that way I'm just mm-hmm. trying to tr- trying to look at things rationally I'm just trying to get a grip on what is actually happening what is the agenda and I think the agenda is confusion <laughs> That's what I've come to. And I, fair enough, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. I'll cop to it. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like with all this misinformation and, you know, it's like this. I mean, uh, I was talking to somebody recently. I don't want really to want to go headlong into it. But how the CDC up until last year was a reputable, you know, uh, right. organization. Like you could trust everything they said. It was yep. bona fide. All it takes is one, you know person to not be named mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, well, I can't trust them no more. Now, I, it's like there are no firm everything is un, is infirm, unfirm. There's no baseline. Like, there's, there's nothing no baseline. to grab on to. Right. There's no absolute truth. People right. think that their opinions matter right? and that that statistics are important. Statistics are only important in respect to what you do with them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of, it's more noise. It's, it's, and I think that's really how whoever happens to be really in power wants it. Yeah. Just, if they can keep us, you know, <laughs> reaching for our socks, <laughs> it's just, I think the whole thing is meant to just confuse. Yeah, I mean, it. it I've
1: been hearing that my whole life and, and, and it, it almost seems like a cliche, but. But when you really think about it and you talk about it, what other possible point can there be for all of it? All just what is somebody going to get out of just saying, oh, you know, don't listen to this person. Don't listen to that person other than to just watch us kill each other. And, you know, they can just sit up there and just rake in all the money. You know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense any other way.
5: Yeah. And I think they're smart enough to realize it doesn't have to. Right. That. Americans are soft.
1: <laughs> yeah. In the head.
5: Americans, yeah. I mean it's a it's still a young country compared to Europe and I know it's like you're not supposed to say that. But it's it's a young country and and people still act young about about stuff, you know? Uh I mean I how would I elaborate? Just just the just well look at our look at how who we choose to lead. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah.
1: It's not Not something that that adults do. Not something that an adult country does.
5: uh, uh, Yes, adults don't vote for a man who's been accused of raping 24 women. But that's that's the thing. It just, I I don't
1: understand. And I could never, I never wanted to be on anybody's reality TV show. And now I am. Now I've been on this guy's reality TV show against my will.
5: And (laughs) I I resent it. And I will resent it till the day I die. I I agree. You have every right. to, to To resent that it, it was not all it, it wasn't cool no i saw some some post on facebook shortly before i got on here somebody talking of another one of these you know love it or leave it type people Yep. who are you know like if you hate if you don't like how this country is running you know there's there's people who uh you know go through hell and high water to get here for the things you complain about and it, you know it's like, why don't you buy a ticket and go, go somewhere else if you don't like America? Yeah. Like, no functioning relationship works like that. hmm That's not that's not even why why put forth this option as if it makes any kind of sense? Any anything you love is what you fight for. Right. Like you gotta twist it. It's if you're an American citizen, it is your responsibility to fix. What's what's wrong? Anybody can stand back. And I'll say it from both sides. You can anybody can stand back and be critical. And also anybody can stand back and say, well, you don't like it. You know where you can go. First off, just speaking for black people, Mm -hmm. we didn't ask to come here. (laughs) (laughs) Just get that one out of the way. Right. We really wasn't like an indict. It was, you know,
1: (laughs) right. Yeah.
5: Uh, you know, but I just uh, you know, I'm an American citizen. I'm I am I I I love this country. But I love this country kind of like James Baldwin loves this country. Like yeah. I love this country enough to tell the truth about it. You know, and 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 to give constructive criticism. I'm not just, you know, I don't take any opportunity to just crap all over anything for any reason. Uh, you know, it, it but if if we can't face reality, we can't Change it. Well, we also can't get out of our our
1: corners. You know, everyone thinks that talking politics is like arguing about sports. And, and, and it's not, you know. And, mm-hmm. and you know, from a purely practical point, you pay taxes, you vote, you read. Why can't you fucking say what you think? You know, I mean, it doesn't make right. any sense that everyone's supposed to shut up and just eat it all the time.
5: Yeah. If you try to do that in within any other relationship, personal business any of it it doesn't work that way yeah you have to sound off you got to first off agree that there's a problem yep and i think that's what it is is a lot of these people don't want to just go ahead and admit it no it's a, it's there's a problem man yep. you know and uh until people who spew that type of rhetoric are ready to face it you know we're still it's still an uphill climb mm. you know and, and and i thought about this the other day that it's never been too many people like change has always happened slow in this country yep. and you know you can do a lot you know with legislation but you can't really change how people feel you can't change how they came up you know you can tell them how they're supposed to think but i mean ultimately what is that really doing it's like you know what what kind of, that's a sort of uh, uh you, you can't you can't fix everything with laws hmm. some of it's got to require i mean well well, yes not only that but a will to actually engage yeah and that's why you see people running to to their to those corners you're talking about who are only going to watch fox news who have divested out of facebook and now are on their own platforms wherever they may be because they're getting too much crosstalk and you know rejection When they deal with regular normal people.
1: It has been eerily quiet lately, hasn't it?
5: Yeah. Because they've they've found their, they've looked for other greener pastures for them. (laughs)
1: Right.
5: You know, it's like, well, I'm tired of arguing. I just want to be with people who agree with me. Like, well, that's the biggest mistake anybody can do. Yeah. Anybody can make is to go with your own kind and decide what's good for everybody else. Right. It's, you know, just... uh, uh, you know, I didn't mean to all go all the way here, Scott. No, man. Thank no, you for... It, it, it's for fine. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, you know, I, in the moment, talking to that kid at Rolling Stone, the kid had to be like maybe 26 years old. I mean, I'm calling him a kid, but... Yeah. You know, because that's kind of how he came off. Like, he's uh, like, well, okay, he started, brought up the Civil Rights Movement. I'm like, oh, man. Dude. It's like, well, what? you know, well, what kind of progress would you say that we've made in this country? I'm like, well... Until last week, you know, when they killed George Floyd in the street, I I could have said, well, they stopped killing us in the street. Yeah. But I can't even say that now, man. So, you know, I'm like, maybe we need to put a pin in this and come back to it. You know, uh, it's. He doesn't. He hasn't seen what I've seen. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I was born in 69. So I was right in time to, you know, for the for the civil rights movement to to fail. (laughs) And so, you know. The entire seventies was really just like, what are we gonna do now? Right. You know, it's like that whole prodigious run of Stevie Wonder records in the middle of the the decade. Like that's the soundtrack to my life. You know, it's it's you can't unless you went through it. It's it doesn't translate the same. I don't think. Yeah. I don't know what the modern equivalent would be. Like, is music really reflecting that on any level right now? Though, is there? Um, Anybody doing anything?
1: uh, Nothing that comes to my mind. I don't know. There's got to be something, right?
5: Yeah, but unfortunately, you know. I
1: mean, that that last uh, Run the Jewels record is pretty great.
5: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. That's fair. I'll buy that.
1: That's all I got. Run the Jewels.
5: That's that's enough. That's a killer mic. Yeah. I'm good with it. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I just wanted to say... uh, I'm sorry, what is your name, man, uh, with the glasses? Ben. Oh, ben. Ben, okay. You just paid an incredible compliment, like, back there talking about that Westerberg band, because, you know, he actually got a lot of, uh, not static from hiring me, but I was fresh out of the Prince camp, and uh, and we had just become, like, you know, just like, we just were, like, automatic best friends. Just went everywhere, did everything, you know, for, for a while there. And, um... St- I think it was a Spin magazine. uh, Some the journalist who asked him like, "Well, why do you have a have an R and B drummer in your band now?" Mm -hmm. And I think Paul said, "Have you heard him?" He's like, "The guy sounds pretty rock and roll to me, man. I don't know what you're saying." Right. You know, yeah. Like, what are you saying?
3: Listen, the yeah. replacements are magic, but I mean, you guys were the best band that Westenberg, I think, has ever put together. It was Tommy Keane.
5: It was Tom Keene and then it was it was Ken Chastain on bass, actually, another local guy. Right. Uh um who grew up, you know, uh, with a real affinity for the replacements and everything. He was kind of a local uh like a local superstar who never shown brightly enough for the world to catch on mm. and uh he happened to be pu- dropping off gear from total music he was working for total music and we were auditioning bass players and <laughs> and paul remembered him from oh, oh he used to be the guy from the answers right oh i remember you guys <laughs> and um the kid was just there to like drop off a couple of amps or something he's like well you still play well yeah man i play a little bit still We'll come back tomorrow, man, and you know.
3: <laughs> oh, that's great!
5: And he gets the gig, so you know.
3: What, what so, was your favorite? What was your favorite replacements or Westerberg song to play?
5: Wow, uh, that's a hard one to call, man, because the fans were so rabid. You didn't. You, it's from start to finish. It was just yeah. like you know, <laughs> it was a beat down every night, and it it wasn't easy. It was easier then than it is now, mm-hmm. but. You know just because it was 20 years ago or whatever but um uh I they all got over so hard you know i guess I, the one thing i'd say is that um i really enjoyed reinterpreting a lot of the stuff from from tim because yeah. that record sounds so awful but the <laughs> songs are so great
0: yeah
5: so right. little mascara yeah. we play every night we um what else?
3: Yeah, Left of the left Dial. Left of the Dial.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Like, a lot of the stuff from like Kiss Me on the Bus.
3: Yeah.
5: Um, yeah. I, I mean, I guess that was the stuff I really enjoyed, because it sounded better with, right. with us playing it, you know? Yeah. And not because the, the playing was so, you know, terrible, but just I, that record just doesn't sound good to me. What it's about Can't it.
3: Hardly Wait? Was Were you always having to be on your toes? Because I'm assuming that those stops and starts were different every night because Paul would just
5: hang <laughs> out. I think one night I joked about, like, we should just go, I can't hardly wait. And then just, like, kind of leave. <laughs> yeah. And I think we actually stayed. We left the stage for probably ten minutes. And came back. (laughs) That's fucking great. I don't remember where that was at. Might have been in in Atlanta. And a bunch of people started running back in the club. Oh, they're playing. And we (laughs) probably did IOU and Alex Chilton and all that after, you know. It's pretty hot. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 he's got a, Westberg's got a grab bag full of, full of good ones, man. He's got a deep catalog. Yeah. And uh, it was funny to me because, uh, I, that was the first time I really toured like that, like just in a bus and just like the, like a club circuit sort of. I, my first real gig was with Prince. So right away it was just like, you know, airport, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the, the the big operation. So it kind of, my career kind of went reverse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I started to get a feel for what this was really. Oh, this is what it really is, <laughs> yeah. you know. And Westbrook was obsessed about staying in, Nice hotels because the replacements never had any. Oh wow! You know he's just like so. We were staying at the Ritz, staying at the you know. Uh, it, it so uh, yeah, it was a it was he was he was good to us and good to himself. He you know spared no expense. Yeah. You know. What's your favorite
3: Soul Asylum song to play?
5: Oh wow! Um, one of them I really like is a song called "Homesick" off Grave Dancers Union. Oh yeah. We don't play it a lot, but. Um, You know, that was the first time, actually, I was like, got into a conversation with Perner about, like, well, I guess all these songs have different memories attached, you know? And he's like, well, yeah. It's like, so you're up there all night just kind of, he's like, yeah, man, it's kind of a trip. Like, it's, you know, different people that you may have written the song about, what the situation was, you know, what made you do this or that, you know? I'm like, yeah, I guess I get it, man. That's a different position to be in where you're you know, the 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 main author of, you know, the output of the band and you know, w- one song takes you in one place, another song takes you in another place. How do you handle that, Scott?
1: Great question. Oh, I don't think, you know, no, I don't think about it.
5: You don't, really? <laughs> no. Are they all just predicated on fistfights? No. <laughs> <and, laughs>
1: they're all about fistfights. <laughs> no, you know, but when you, you'll do those records, like it, you'll do, like, they'll have you in a situation where you play a record from beginning to end. That's when it gets really, that's when it starts to mess with your head. You're like, because you're inside 26-year-old you for all night or something like that. And you're just like, wow. I wasn't totally stupid back then. I knew a thing or two about something. But then the rest yeah. of it's about fighting. You're right.
5: Okay, okay. No, I, I was going to say, I really enjoyed that, actually, at, at the Kansas City gig. I, I, that you guys just... We're just going to play this from start to finish,
1: so... It was fun. It was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be.
5: What, yeah. what prompted the decision? Oh, it's because you have two dates kind of close together? Right, right, at right. At that right, place? Right, right. I see. Yeah. I understand.
3: What's your favorite Prince song to play?
5: Yeah,
1: <laughs> wow, man! I, and did you ever have to learn Computer Blue?
5: I had to for a for a tribute show that I put together. Shortly did you play I the
1: long, basketball. long version of Computer Blue, or no,
5: just, not just the, the not version. the real, not the thirteen okay. minute one?
1: Okay, that's the one I want to hear.
5: That's the one you want to play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll bet you do. <laughs> I, uh, it's funny, man, because I think I think. Uh, uh, I think it was just when we started touring with you guys that Perner wanted to get into playing a lot more guitar. Uh-huh. I think he was really envious of the fact that you get to rip kind of all night. And It's like, man, I need to get some more, you know. So, <laughs> it's like sometimes there's like two songs in a row where he's taking a solo. I'm like, whoa, what happened? Yeah. It's a whole different thing now. Check yeah. this out, kid. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> three, two,
2: one, two,
4: anyway hey michael before i uh before we finish this up i know scott wants to wrap it up or eventually but sure i just want i just want you to let <laughs> you know that me. no i'm probably the least uh educated person on minneapolis like 80s and 90s rock so i, I don't really That's have a, sure. a handle on what what you represent and where you come from but when i was younger I, I did see you on mtv playing drums i'm like man look at this drummer go and i got to see you play in uh, milwaukee with with Soul asylum and i'm like i'm really impressed with this guy I'd like to talk to him, like to meet him, and, and it was a pleasure talking to you or listening to you because you are truly one of the people that, you know, we have to have on the show because we're lifers. You know, the show is it's called The Lifers Podcast, and you definitely represent, you know, the lifestyle, the 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 whole attitude about being in this for life, and I appreciate the time.
5: Oh, well, thank you so much, man. I, I, I Thanks for being here. I, did, did I just kind of—I'm trying to remember. Did I just kind of uh, elbow my way on to this show or did— <laughs> No. I think I asked Scott I'm like what do you why are you interviewing why are you why are you interviewing Dave Perner? That's a good question. Another great <laughs> it question. It was a great I question. Thought. It was a terrific question. I <laughs> like, was like, yeah, I'm a be- why? Yeah, I'm a better interview than him. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's been great. It's been ten times better. <laughs>
2: Do is wrong. Get up. 23 positions in a one night stand. Get up. I'll only call you after if you say I can. Get up. Let a woman be a woman and a man be a man. Get up. If you want to, baby, here I am. Here I am. I got the jizz from a friend of yours named Vanessa Bet. She said she took a fantasy that got her all wet. In the bottom little box with a mirror and a tongue inside yeah. What she told me then got me so hot I knew that we could slide Ooh. Get up 23 positions in a one night stand Get up I'll only call you after if you say I can Get up Let a woman be a woman and a man be a man Get up If you want to baby here I am Here I am Drinking, scope this. I was just thinking, you trust me. What a ride! If you was thinking the same, we could continue outside. Lay your pretty body against the pocket meter. Strip your dress down like I was stripping a pizza. balls. I'm in joy. Let me show you, baby. I'm a talented boy. Everybody, grab a pop. Want to eat? I'm a toy, I don't serve ribs. You better be happy that dress is still on. I heard the rip when you sat down. <laughs> Honey, them hips is gone. But that's alright, I clock them that way. Mind me of something James used to say. I like them fat, I like them proud. You got to have a mother for me. Now move your big ass round this way so I can work on that zipper, big day. Tonight, you're a star